You're listening to Once, episode 297, The Black Fairy. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. And I'm Heather Ordover. And Jeremy and Jacqueline couldn't join us for the podcast tonight. So it's just Heather and I, but we're looking forward to this discussion. This was a good episode of this Once a Upon a Time. great episode. You know, as far as theories go, I felt like there's not, there aren't as many different things to theorize about with this episode, yeah. but it was a really good episode that really nicely moves the story along, yeah. speeding us toward this final battle and the finale, which is coming up very soon. So if you're in the greater Cincinnati area or anywhere close to there or can get there for the finale, please join us for the finale party on Mother's Day. Register for that over at oncepodcast.com slash party. We'd love to see you there. We don't know yet, even to this point when we're recording this, we don't know if Once Upon a Time will get another season. Regardless, if there's only one finale party you can attend, I recommend you make it this one because I think this could be our series finale. But even if it's not, I really recommend you make it to this finale party. And you'll have a lot of fun there with us too. That's at oncepodcast.com slash party. Let's start our discussion in the past with Rumpel's birth. Yeah, that was, uh, I, I was, I was surprised to see two fairies. I was expecting to see three right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, because the, the title screen showed yeah. three fairies. And this is one of the very few times where they played the previously and Once Upon a Time. And then the title screen with nothing from this episode before the title screen. Yeah. And I... So I went and had, <laughs> had my reaction. But then seeing Tiger Lily was great. They also had Tiger Lilies on Tiger Lily's straps. Um, she was a lot more red in the front, but on the shoulders and towards the back, the, they were Tiger Lilies, oh, which nice. I thought was kind of cool. But the, the process of childbirth, I thought was well represented. <laughs> but I also liked the, the little effect of getting the, the flickery candle moment. And the kind of the the portentous childbirth thing, which is always kind of fun to see. Yeah, the lights flickering was something that happened when Henry was born, too. And we wondered, is that something that happens when the mother is giving birth? Or is that something when the child is born? And Melanie pointed this out. She said, could the light flicker at birth be because of the baby being born instead of the mother giving birth? Maybe it is something special that happens when a baby is born from Rumpel's line. The lights flickered at both Rumpel's and Henry's births, and they are both important to the story. I don't think we saw Neil's birth, so we can't know if the lights flickered then. We did see Emma's birth. Was there a flicker on that one? There I don't wasn't. remember. And she hmm. was supposed to be the savior and is the savior or broke a, sp- a spell. But maybe there's something different because she was a female. And yeah, all of that's the others what I was so thinking far too. have been men. That's interesting. There are all sorts of different Midrash Jewish stories about where things like this come from. Like um, the the very first letter of the Bible, you would expect to be an Aleph. You'd expect it to be an A because that's the beginning. And the very first book of the Bible or the first 
portion of the Bible in Jewish text is Breshit, which starts with a B. And so that's very strange. And so rabbis over history said, well, that's because the Aleph is silent. The Aleph is the sound of God taking a breath before he says in the beginning. So when you have something like this with the lights flickering, it's the, when Melanie said, said that, that you just read the, the idea of, um, is it the, the birth itself or is it the baby being born? It's like, is that the first breath? You know, the, the, the breath of life coming into the kid is the thing that blows out the candles. I, it's kind of cool imagery. There's a whole bunch of stuff you could play with with that. And in all fairness, it's also possible, as Matthew Paul points out, that maybe it's simply something they hadn't thought of when Emma was born. That's it wasn't true. part of the p- plot yet. Now, a little detail know. to notice when the two fairies come that Blue is holding that wand that's in Storybrooke, the wand that was used oh. to banish Dark Fairy, you, or Black Fairy. Uh, you see her holding that and using that wand in the flashbacks throughout this episode. It's not the same kind of fairy wand you see all of the other fairies use, but at least she is using it throughout this. So it's not a special wand she went to get in order to banish the black fairy later on. But this is apparently her wand that for some reason she decides to stop using and break. Uh, maybe we'll see that. Maybe we won't. Maybe it was something that was cut from this episode for time. And by the way, mm-hmm. I just learned that the Australian version of Once Upon a Time, uh, Laura Silva is down there in Australia, and she let me know that the Australian versions often cut even more because of certain time restraints they have and other things going on. So it's it's oh. even it's not as good of a show if you have to watch in Australia. So come to America, come to the finale party and watch it with us because who knows what important stuff they'll cut out in Australia. So it's sorry. It's just a hop upon the pond. You can just get over in just a few minutes. Yeah. And we speak English anyway. So it's just like, you know, that's home. right. Oh, that is so interesting. I hadn't noticed that about the wand. <laughs> I hope we find, I hope that wasn't just something that they're not going to answer. My thought is that maybe it was something they had to cut from this episode for time, or we're supposed to just assume this is what happened, that after Blue banished Black to the Dark Mm -hmm. Realm, that Blue decided something like her darkness can't be allowed to come back, and because this wand is what banished her, I can't use this wand anymore, and she then decides to break the wand And send its different parts in completely different directions, giving one of them to Tiger Lily, because after all, Tiger Lily was right there. She knew how dangerous this this whole thing was. That makes sense. Having something that had touched that kind of that kind of evil or that kind of dark magic, um, you might not want to keep that around any longer. Now, Rumpel was born. They said, as the prophecy, he would be born with great light Mm -hmm. magic, and would be known as the savior so if there's a savior Mm -hmm. he has to save people from something (laughs) so what here's the thing where you can say it's kind of circular logic but it's circular to the point that it, it cancels itself out if you even get in the circle but it doesn't make sense unless you get in the circle so follow me with this if he's the savior he has to save people from something okay so the thing he's going to save people from is the Black Fairy. The Black Fairy is created because he's the savior and he's going to destroy her. She's going to destroy him in the final battle. So that's what his destiny is. He is destined to die as a savior because of the 
villain he created. In all of this, if he was not born as Mm -hmm. the savior, there'd be no need for anyone to be Mm -hmm. saved. Yeah. So it's a a self-fulfilling, circular, self-mandating prophecy. There's probably some philosophical term for it. It's called my brain hurts. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But I think that's really cool, right? Because that's the... Um, all the warnings in literature and stories forever are like, don't, don't find out your future. Don't go down that road. It's only going to cause problems because inevitably the thing that you try and prevent from happening, the bad thing that you're going to try and prevent from happening by your interventions, you're going to cause it to happen because it was foretold that that was what was going to happen. What I started thinking would be kind of interesting is if Rumpel's been cut off from from the white magic and, and all of that that we'll get to as we go further through the episode. But it would be kind of interesting if he is the one who saves everyone from the Black Fairy, kind of defying the role that he was thrust into by her actions in trying to save him and that they kind of cancel each other out, leaving Emma or he works with Emma or or something. It would be it's going to be really interesting seeing what they're going to do with old Rumple there. I'm excited. And here's the other thing to question. And Gareth raises this point really well. He says, are saviors born or are they mm. made? The show has been fairly clear on evil being made, but not born. But what about saviors? In the show, people are either born with magic, learn magic, or inherit magic mm-hmm. in some way. Emma and Aladdin were born with magic and were both mm. saviors. Elsa was born with magic, and you could say she was a savior to Arendelle. Ingrid, the Snow Queen, and Zelina were also born with magic. Does that make them saviors too? Perhaps it does. The Book of Records in Oz said the witch from the West was destined to save Oz from a great evil. And remember, they thought that witch was going to be Zelina. Now, arguably, Zelina became that great evil, but perhaps she was meant to be the savior, but her choices turned her away from that path. In season 6A, Henry had a heart-to-heart with Jasmine where they talked about putting Emma and Aladdin on the path to become the savior. So perhaps the savior is not automatic. The show has often emphasized that people's choices play a major role in determining one's fate or destiny. In the episode Kansas, Regina changes her destiny and in Tougher Than the Rest, Emma changes hers. So perhaps saviors are made and not merely born. Light magic is the birthright of saviors, but not required to be a savior. So could Rumpel still be a savior? Yes. The Shears cut him off from his light magic the way they did with Aladdin. And Mm -hmm. that is very important language there because that is later on in the episode. They say they're cutting off the magic, not his destiny to be the savior. But it is not necessarily the magic that makes someone the savior. Emma broke the curse before she discovered her magic. She has also overcome many things without using her magic. Aladdin lost his original light magic, but found magic again by becoming a genie and helping Jasmine save Agrabah. Rumpel still has magic. It is dark magic, but perhaps if used for the right reasons, it could either become light magic again or at least be used for good. Mm-hmm. Very good yeah, point. Gareth. I like that a lot. I like that. I like the fact that there's predictions you can make. But I also like the the idea that people have their own agency and they can they can make good decisions or they can make lousy decisions. And this is something that we've talked about many times before as well, is that it it seemed from season one at least that Emma was made to be the savior because she was written into the curse as the way to break the curse. And so that's what made her 
a savior for that specific thing. But since then, they've really expanded that out a lot more to say, no, she is a savior, not just a savior to this particular curse, but to many other curses, to many other people as well. So maybe it's kind of similar for Rumpel that he's born a savior and maybe it's only one particular curse that he's no longer the savior of, but he can be the savior of other curses or like Gareth is suggesting, maybe it's purely a matter of choice. It's it's an interesting, uh, it didn't occur to me until this episode with, with Rumpel. And when it was first like, Oh, it's a male baby and a savior. I started to go, Ooh, that's making me feel weird. Cause that's like putting it in a biblical context that like usurps the whole Jesus story and kind of made me uncomfortable. But the thing that I think is cool about what you're just saying, the idea that you, if you don't have to be a savior for something, like you were destined to be the savior from this one dark curse, if it's just a savior qua savior, then does that mean that whether you have special gifts or not, what it really comes down to is whether you're willing to sacrifice yourself for the greater good? For, for your community, yeah. for your people, for whatever. And it could be a sacrifice of your life, or it might not be a sacrifice of your life. It just might be sacrificing something that's particularly important to you, like people go through with Lent. But that idea of putting others before yourself is something that Regina has done in her story arc a whole lot more than I think anybody else has. But Emma's done it too. And it would mean that Gold has some flexibility in how he deals with the next, what, three episodes? Is the finale or the season finale the third? Yeah, the the finale is a two hour. So we could say it's basically two hours left or two episodes left. And music. Yeah, looking forward to that. Everyone knows it. I know. It's coming. In fact, I think the reason the ratings have been going up the last couple episodes is people are tuning in expecting to see that special episode that ABC is promoting the world out of and not seeing that episode yet. But it's coming. We're really looking forward to that. I will watch the promo for it as soon as we finish recording this episode. (laughs) Still haven't seen the promo yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, One other little detail here that's really interesting is that the fairies have this book of prophecy. And so it prophesied, or in the terms of King Arthur, it prophesied that a baby would be born and that he would be the savior. I don't know that any of the other, quote, Mm -hmm. saviors, unquote, have been prophesied. Now, maybe Aladdin, because Jasmine knew to look for Aladdin, and I think there may have been some reference to a prophecy or a legend or something like that, but certainly nothing about Emma, like no foretelling. Yes, Rumpel saw the future, but it wasn't like a written prophecy that everyone knew that, oh, Emma would become the savior or anything like that. Certainly nothing about Henry other than Peter Pan knew Henry would have the heart of the truest believer. So, this book, what else is in that book? Uh, yeah. It's, it's not Nostradamus. No, I, I was wondering that too. And, and not only because, ooh, I want to know what's in the book, but also because, yikes, I wonder what else is in the book. You know, if this went south yeah. so fast for Fiona and Rumpel, then, oh my gosh, the massive weight of all the other things that could be in there that would be... Mm-hmm. And has Blue read the book? Who else has read the book? Do we know who's read the book? Blue probably has because she was there to see this. And Blue seems to be the leader of the fairies. So my guess is of all of the fairies, she's the most well-versed in the prophecy, in the literature, in the lore, 
Although, well, uh, with this next scene, we learn a little bit more about Fiona's background. And she, Tiger Lily even points it out that Fiona has been reading more of the fairy lore than most of the fairies. So she knows more than most of the fairies know. Maybe even more than all of the fairies know because she's been desperately reading all of the stuff, putting pieces together, discovering things, discovering the impossible, or at least what Fiona thought was impossible. And like that spell she cast to turn herself yeah. into a fairy, which we'll get into in just a moment. But um, so she's been so heavily researching all of this. That's how she knew that a great evil would also come and kill Rumpel in the final battle. And maybe she's read the complete book of prophecy, which could give her a unique perspective on the future. Well, that's true. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. If she'd, if she'd read everything and not just the section that was on her own, her own child. Oh. So her motivation to become a fairy is that it's the fairy's job to protect babies. And so it's, Tiger Lily's job to protect Rumpel, being Rumpel's fairy godmother. So that's why Fiona wanted to be a fairy, because she realized, well, no, I'm not just going to mother him. I'm also going to protect him. So if the only way I can protect him is to become a fairy, then blah, 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 <laughs> this Scots Gaelic <laughs> phrase, and poof, I'm a fairy yes. now. <laughs> I was glad she was the one pronouncing it. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, So I think it makes sense that she discovered this special spell she could cast. And she did take away Tiger Lily's wand. To do it, yeah. Uh, So that was the subtle thing. Yeah. And that's how she was able to then become a fairy. And I think it makes sense that maybe she discovered that somewhere. But the the Scots Gaelic that she says, which I'm not at all (laughs) going to try and pronounce. Like, it doesn't even look like words (laughs) written down. Uh, But I copied it from the subtitles uh, for the episode. It's Scots Gaelic, and when you uh, interpret it literally, it's with wings, power, magic. And other places they'll say, well, if you just enter the whole phrase directly into Google Translate, it says winged magic. My take on what she's basically saying is something like by the power of winged magic or by the power of magic wings, something like that. That's very cool. I like that. I wonder if that's an actual thing, like if that's a Scottish or Celtic lore I searched it on Google, and I think only two sites came up. Yeah. And one of them was the Once Upon a Time. (laughs) I actually went back to my Craftlet people. I may not hear back from them until next week, but uh, I went back and posted the clip of Fiona singing, well, the Black Fairy singing uh, the the lullaby later, and, and nobody's come back with anything yet. And I searched for that all over the place. Yeah, the lullaby. I cried and called my sweet mm-hmm. barn's name, but never saw sweet uh-huh. baby again. Yeah, one of those lullabies that you probably really shouldn't be singing to your children when they can understand what you're singing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is realistically most I, of I the I think lullabies. it is almost of the lullabies. Yep. They're all kind of sad and quiet. But uh, I liked. I also liked the line that they gave Fiona right before she tricked Tiger Lily about how uh, how amazing it is that such a little thing can change you, that it makes you soft and sharp all at once. And I thought, boy, I haven't I haven't heard such a great description of parenthood that that initial the immediate change where all of a sudden it's like, oh, my gosh, I my whole job now is making this thing in my arms that is completely 
incapable of taking care of itself. It's to keep it safe and to keep it alive. And I mean, even things like walking down the street in Brooklyn with the baby in a stroller, people went by with their dog on a leash. It's like, why are you doing that? Why do you have your dog so close to my child? Don't you realize that your dog is at the same height as my child in the stroller and could reach out and bite? You know, I mean, completely irrational stuff. But you are, your senses are sharpened to pr- for the purpose of protection at that point. I remember seeing when my sisters had their first kids uh, that my sisters then became much more aggressive in their opinions about other drivers on the road (laughs) (laughs) because there's a baby on Mm -hmm. board. Absolutely. (laughs) Now, on the interesting critical side of the Black Fairy, Francisco had Mm -hmm. this to say, we don't know Fiona prior to Rumpel's death, so we don't know if she has always been a narrow-minded and impulsive woman or the circumstances made her so. Also, how easy for a mortal woman with no magic training just to grab a wand and transform herself into a fairy, Tiger Lily was right, impossible. She is supposed to be the greatest evil, yet she acts more like a retired cheerleader (laughs) dressed like Lydia from Beetlejuice. Even Peter Pan was more intimidating than her. After years of great villains, we are possibly ending the show with such a weak one. It's just disappointing. Mm. And I think that's a fully legitimate perspective. Yeah, critical on the show, sure, Uh, but totally legitimate. By the end, I don't know if I still feel that way by the end, but we'll get there. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I will ponder Francisco. So I like that they're doing this whole biblical sort of thing of going and looking at all of the babies that have been born recently. As Aaron brought up, it's very similar to the circumstances around when Jesus was born and how Herod wanted to go and kill all of the babies that were below a certain age just to try and make sure none of them could possibly be the savior which really looking back at that horrific horribly horrific uh, event here at least the black fairy or at this moment she's still fiona is simply looking for the babies but you have to wonder what would she have done what was she going to do yeah no i was thinking slaughter of the innocents it was really there's that moment where you're like oh well sure of course you'd go oh wait a minute what because that's that's that slippery slope of uh, the sharp side of, of being a parent. She mentions this combination of two ancient spells. That combination is what we learn is later the dark curse. And Gareth said, I suspect there is a significance to the fact that the dark curse was created by combining two ancient spells. What two things do, does the curse do? It definitely is mm-hmm. a portal. It moves people from a magic realm to a world without magic. It also creates. It created the new world of Storybrooke. New identities and forgetting appear to be add-ons to the original curse. The reason I bring this up is because we have heard a lot about the Black Fairy creating the dark curse and something about the darkness coming. So what exactly is coming? What was the Black Fairy trying to do in the mines with the dark crystals? What will killing the Savior accomplish? How will this bring a happy ending for their family? Perhaps the Black Fairy is planning to cast a new version of the Dark Curse and she needs to remove the Savior so there will be no one left who can break it. Peter Pan planned to turn Storybrooke into the new Neverland, so it is possible that she plans to cast a Dark Curse over Storybrooke once again. Not sure how the darkness then also affects Neverland. Perhaps the curse can be altered to send everyone she wants to the Dark World. I really hope if they do any kind of reboot on the show for a seventh season or anything like that, 
I really hope another curse is not part of it. We've seen the curse used interestingly in different places, and we've seen a town line border implemented. It seems every other day there's a new town line border (laughs) keeping everyone in Storybrooke. Think also about her intention originally in creating this curse was to cast that one villain or who she thought would Mm -hmm. be a villain away from them so that that one villain could cause no harm to anyone else. But that's when Tiger Lily points out that, no, this could take all of the babies and cast them to a land without magic. So she's spending her lifetime or many lifetimes really trying to find a way back to Rumpel. So why not pop into Storybrooke and say, hey, I'm here. (laughs) Why this whole final battle? Why the need for a final battle if she believes she's cut off Rumpel's destiny to be her killer and somehow she knows that she won't be Rumpel's killer as well. That's a really good point. Is the what's the purpose what's the purpose of the final battle? Why why is there such a push to have not that I'm not looking forward to it, mind you, but what's the reason that there's such a a, a ticking clock? Especially by the end of this episode. I don't know what the, the ticking clock really is. But the final battle will probably happen at eight fifteen. <laughs> Not 122 like it was today when <laughs> when I was rewatching and double checked to see what time it was when snow was up in the clock tower. God, know what time it is. Now, something interesting to look back on is when they're in the sacred vault of the fairies and Fiona is there working on creating this mm-hmm. dark curse. Think back to season one, episode 108, Desperate Souls. That's when Rumpel lost Balefire through the magic beanhole. <laughs> And he was talking to Blue Fairy, and he was saying, there's got to be a way, a realm jumper, a this, a that, a that. And Blue Fairy saying, no, no, no. And Rumpel says, a curse. And that's when Blue kind of goes silent, and then Rumpel realizes, ah, so there is a curse. Mm. So I don't know if the writers planned this way back then, but when he mentions that, that's a curse that Blue is thinking, no, not that curse. I cast Fiona out of our world into the dark realm. I banished her there because of her creating that curse. This is a curse that must never be used. And so the 300 years or a couple hundred years that happen after that episode, Desperate Souls, are Rumpel trying to find that curse as well as trying to make that curse and wait for the right time to cast it, the right people to cast it, and all of those pieces to fall into place for it. So it's possible that there were some ways that the curse was changed, maybe to make it harder to cast, like the whole requiring the heart of the thing Mm -hmm. you love most. If that's what Fiona's curse required, then she would have had to kill Rumpel in order to protect Rumpel. That wouldn't make sense. So maybe that's something that Blue Fairy threw into the curse to help prevent anyone from wanting to cast it. Right, because then it wouldn't be so easy. You couldn't just say, I'm going to combine these and be done with it that'd be smart on blue's part and this curse or at least the way fiona was trying to make it was to send one child away but fiona said well actually it would send all children so it's not even necessarily working the same way as the dark curse this is a precursor (laughs) to the dark curse (laughs) it's like the beta version i like that (laughs) dark curse beta (laughs) I'm not going to sign up for that. Other betas, sure. 
that one, not so much. I like the mention of wolfsbane here, which is apparently an extremely dangerous it is, ingredient. It is poisonous. It is the real deal. It is not something to play around with. And yeah, when she mentioned it, I went, what? <laughs> so I was glad that Tiger Lily and I had the same response. <laughs> so what doesn't quite make sense here to me, and this could be because of writing decisions and trying to make a storyline out of this character, but... Fiona spent very little time as the Black Fairy here. And what turned her into the Black Fairy was almost killing Tiger Lily. So it makes me wonder, would this happen if anyone else tried to kill a fairy? Or if they turned themselves into a fairy and then tried to kill a fairy? Like if, mm. if Blue tried to kill another fairy, would Blue turn into a Black Fairy as well? Right. Or is it is it fairy side between uh, lesser a lesser fairy. I always kind of wondered if if the black fairy, if Fiona, when she was first a fairy and still golden, if if she was kind of a lesser fairy, like she couldn't get to the sacred fairy vault by herself. So I I wasn't really sure if that was like a, being a junior fairy or why she somehow needed that boost. Yeah, and you'd think with all of her reading, she would know how to right. get to the sacred right. fairy vault. But maybe maybe that's the thing is that if she wasn't like really a full-fledged fairy and maintained just enough of her, her human side to have weaknesses and, and foibles, then maybe that action of actively trying to kill or do serious harm to Tiger Lily was enough to flip her out of the running for being a full-fledged fairy. I was kind of surprised that they didn't really deal with that at all. It was just that one throwaway line about needing the help to get into the the sacred fairy vault. And when you look back at the previous season, when they were looking for the black fairy's mm. wand, that was back in season three, they spoke of it as if, oh, this wand did horrible things. Now, they didn't say it did, but they did say that the black fairy was well-versed in dark magic. And a few episodes ago, the black fairy even said she practically created dark magic. Is this like the first, the first murder or attempted murder of a fairy? And so it's kind of like the entrance of sin right. into the world in a sense like that. And so now black or dark magic exists, which never existed before this, maybe. And maybe that's why certain things were forbidden is because it was known that, well, you create these things and that will bring dark yeah, magic. Yeah, that's crossing a line that you can't uncross. I like that. And she didn't have that wand until that moment when she transformed into the dark fairy and she's holding the wand it just appears in her left hand and then she's holding it again later when she cuts uses the shears to cut rumple's destiny and then the blue fairy takes the wand away and and that's just kind of it we don't see her really do much more with the wand other than that one little thing but apparently Maybe it's because this is the wand of the person who brought dark magic into the realm. That's enough. That's why this wand is so powerful and dangerous. Right. Right. Then it would be kind of a cursed, a cursed instrument itself, something that was, was there and in hand when, when such bad, bad juju was floating around. And you have to wonder what made Fiona evil. Mm. Was she evil because of her power, did power corrupt? Absolutely. <laughs> no, I think I think that that's that's got to be one of the big temptations, right? 
that you cross that line and you suddenly have access to like someone who's just learned how to drive, that there's a, a huge temptation to take advantage of that new power and to flex your muscles or your wings and see how far you can take it. And it's that that hard thing of once you take that first step, it's hard for you to hear people warning you that you've crossed a line. And it's hard for you to see that you've crossed that line until you're so far past it that it's easy to just say, well, there's no going back and stick with it, which she, she seems the the panic in her voice when she says, I need my power. You can hear the I have to protect my kid, but you can also hear the I can't hear you say that the best way for me to protect my kid is to let go of the power because I'm too scared because there's too many other things going through. The interference was too, too strong for her to be able to hear the wise counsel that she was being given. And I think that's an awfully human position to, to find yourself in. Yeah. Certainly a teenage position to find yourself in. And when she uses the shears mm-hmm. on Rimple, my thought here, I think we discussed this in the initial reactions, or maybe I was discussing this with Jenny, so I apologize if I'm repeating things. But my thought is she cut light magic, the light magic destiny from Rumpel. He was born to be the savior, to wield light magic, and born with great light magic. So if she cut that from him, maybe, like if he was always destined to be the savior, to wield both light and dark magic, as we learned about from Merlin previously, Maybe then she cut only the light magic side of that, and then that left him destined to wield dark magic and be the opposite of the savior Mm. for a while. Mm. Yeah. But then that goes into this bigger thing of Mm -hmm. destiny with the show, which gets really deeply philosophical because up until fairly recently, actually I'd say up until this season, the events that have happened to people— have been based largely or solely on decisions. Yes, the author was manipulating situations, putting people on certain paths, but they still had some free will. And it was still his decision to guide things and control and manipulate situations to make for a better story. But all of these other things were people's decisions and only this season are they really talking about this concept of destiny and fate and what's that the fate is something that the only way you can escape it is not by decision but by cutting yourself from your destiny so it it gets deeply philosophical to say that no it's not an entity of any sort whether that be uh, a deity which they've acknowledged deities in the episode in the show, uh, whether that be a person, it's this this uh, personless force sort of thing. <laughs> Happy Star Wars Day, by the way. If you're listening to this on the day that this episode releases, it's Star Wars Day, May the Fourth, as many people say. Well, you should really be saying May Fourth. It's not May the Fourth, but the, there goes my grammar nerd side. And you don't write the th, by the way. That's you speak the th, but you write it simply May four, but you say May fourth. So, okay, grammar <laughs> aside. So, this destiny thing seems to be something that pushes people in certain directions against their wills. Hmm. See, it gets it's is it against is it against their will or is it uh, leveraging or nudging them in the direction of? 
uh, something that's there but may not be, I don't want to say not fully formed, but not quite so much an active part of their personality at the time. If we all have the capacity for doing good and we have the capacity for doing evil, then is it just what gets, it's part of the author thing, it's what gets put in your path. Because you'd like to think, you'd like to mm-hmm. hope that you're the, you're more than just the sum of all your experiences, that you have other things going for you in, in facing dilemmas and making decisions. But it's tricky. It's tricky the way that they've set this season up. And Raymond said, maybe it's like a Star Wars thing where he is destined to bring balance to light and dark magic. But after the light was cut away, it turns to his son to bring balance to both light and dark mm-hmm. magic. His son, in this Gideon. case, being Gideon. Right. Yeah, not Neil. Right. Right. That's interesting. I have to say, I'm still, I'm still ambivalent about Gideon. I keep, I keep going back and forth about Oh, yay, he's good. Oh, no, he can't possibly be good. He's a dangerous man. God, stay away from him. No, no, no. Okay, he's good now. I'm feeling awfully (laughs) schizophrenic about Gideon. (laughs) And we see the same thing with Rumpel, too, that Rumpel has flip-flopped back and forth. And Melanie raises a good point that maybe Rumpel was still a savior. Mm -hmm. She said in the past when he killed his father and himself to save the town. He was a savior then. So even though it seems the Shears avoided his prophesied fate, he still ended up killing one of his parents, and that same parent was the reason he died. So I'm wondering about the side effects of the Shears. I haven't seen any other odd side effects like this, so it's probably just a coincidence in Rumpel's case, but it's still rather interesting. Yeah. I like I like Melanie's comments. Yay, Melanie! Yeah, maybe the prophecy originally was actually about... Peter Pan and Rumple. Oh. But then again, if the events in this episode didn't happen, would Malcolm become have Peter even Pan. become Peter Pan? Right. Probably not. Right. Oh. And speaking yeah. of Malcolm, when they bring the baby back to him, again with the superlatives, <laughs> that Fiona was the most caring in all yeah. the realms. Yeah. I had a little trouble with him. And I, I can't tell if I was meant to have this kind of trouble with him or if... I've just read way too many classic lit books. But the way he was focused on her instead of the the family and the the structure that they were building, the way he was focused on her having been so perfect and so good and generous and all of the, the great superlatives that kick in, he sounded so selfish to me. And the way he talked about her made me think that she seemed pretty selfish too, that it was it was the as it should be, the two of them against the world. I mean, you want that kind of unified um, comfort of of being with someone who you know has your back and you can trust. But there was just something about the way that he kept going on about it that made me really uncomfortable. And then when it turned on to, yeah, I'm going to blame this, you know, four-day-old infant for all of my woes. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, do we learn nothing? And... I thought it was really interesting that he named Rumpelstiltskin Mm -hmm. while he was in his anger and selfishness Mm -hmm. there. And looking back at the story of Rumpelstiltskin, it's the king's bride guesses his name correctly. And think of the end, though, Mm -hmm. to Rumpelstiltskin. He ends up destroying himself because he was defeated. So by Malcolm naming the baby Rumpelstiltskin... Is that basically Malcolm saying that he hopes the baby destroys itself? Father of the Year <laughs> Award goes to that guy. <laughs> Aces, man. 
Well, and it's, but it's also kind of that difference between people who build and people who break. And if his first thought is to go with Rumpelstiltskin, knowing the story as the name for his child, he's doing that. It's like, I, I think the description at the end of one of the Rumpelstiltskin stories that I'd read was that he got so angry that he was uh, pounding the floor with his foot and spinning. And he eventually just rips a hole in the ground of the floor that he's he's on the wooden floor and he descends into the center of the earth or into hell or or who knows where he goes it's not a good place i would imagine but the the image of somebody just spinning out and wrecking wrecking their world seems kind of like what malcolm is doing there he's doing it very quietly but he is sure taking a wrecking ball to his future in lots of different ways even if he didn't become Pan, if it was just the two of them, he would have set the ball rolling for ruining his kid's life and his. And you can see that in the later episodes when we saw, well, actually earlier, but later timeline-wise, when we see Malcolm turn into Peter Pan, Malcolm's selfishness and how he kept wanting to get away mm-hmm. from Rumpel and pushing Rumpel away, leaving him with others, trying to run away from him and giving Rumpel up in order for him to become this magical being. Uh, So, by the way, knowing now the backstory of the Black Mm -hmm. Fairy, I get the impression Malcolm never knew she became a fairy. And uh, so, obviously, didn't even fall in love with her because she was a fairy, nothing like that. She wasn't a fairy until she cast that little spell. Uh, He fell in love with her, as he said, because there was none more caring in all the realms than her. Hmm. I wonder what he saw her caring for. True. Somehow he he doesn't strike me as someone who's attracted to altruism. Unless he's thinking, I want to be taken That's care of. That's what I'm I thinking. I want someone who will do all of the things, move heaven and earth for exactly. me. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you know who moves heaven and earth Tell for me. us? You know who is more caring than anyone in all the realms for us? It's our wonderful Heroes for Once podcast, and we could not do this podcast without them. So special thanks to Lisa Slack, Lisa R., Trainer James, and our 28 heroes on Patreon for supporting this episode of the podcast. You make the podcast possible by covering expenses like equipment and hosting expenses, plugins we need for the website, services and such, and other things that we're able to cover our expenses thanks to your wonderful support. So Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you would like to become a hero for the podcast, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. You've got a few options over there. And think about what is the podcast worth to you? If it's worth a dollar per month, okay, you can give a dollar per month. If it's worth more than that, that'd be great too. There are certain levels at which we start mentioning your name in a certain number of episodes in the podcast. So we'd love to have your support and we'd love to be able to mention you in many episodes to come for the podcast. So check out your options over at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. No one is better at hero worship than you. (laughs) Your transitions are always so awesome. You are an inspiration to us all. Thank you. And speaking of inspiration, well, rather the opposite of inspiration, a rotten, spoiled dragon egg. Yeah. (laughs) Back in the present now, trying to wake up the blue fairy. And uh, I have to wonder, is this like, is this Lily's sister or brother? Or where did this this rotten (laughs) dragon egg come from? 
uh, because we only know of two, well, three dragons in Once Upon a Time. So I'm guessing this one's related. Oh, I really liked the special effect, the the swirly, um, when you could see down inside the egg. But but yeah, I thought this was an interesting... Well, and the other problem is that we've been watching um, Game of Thrones, so dragons take on a whole... Whole new layer of meaning <laughs> once you get there. I have to wonder: Has Rumple really exhibited so much anti-savior sentiment in this episode? I- any other time in this episode, he's just dripping with it. Here in this scene and in other scenes where he's just like, "Ah, saviors aren't very helpful," and that's just the way of saviors. Which the way he talks of saviors like that. Sounds more like the way Jafar talked mm. about saviors, where it seemed like Jafar had encounters with other saviors, and it's like, oh, that's the way it is with you, saviors, mm. and that. And now Rumple is kind of using that same kind of language. That's true. I hadn't thought about that, and I, I'm actually getting back to my notes because Emma's reactions to gold often irk me. This episode, it worked. I thought because of the juxtaposition of this scene and later scenes. I also thought that Gold's line of saviors are never quite as helpful as advertised was really lovely. And and it resonates so well through the rest of the, the episode too. But it didn't come across to me as bitterness coming from Gold, but just kind of exhaustion. He's got Emma on his back all the time, and he hasn't even caught as much of a break as... Regina has in some respects. And it's got to be tiring to constantly have somebody, especially somebody needling you, especially when you know you know more than they do. And Emma's, you know, she's just this upstart savior. <laughs> what does she know? But yeah, I thought the scene was interesting for that, that reason, especially. And I like that they brought back the cuff. Yes. Finally. <laughs> Why haven't they put that on the Black Fairy? Uh, that's an excellent question. It would seem efficient. It would stop yeah. stop the story so quickly. <laughs> Oops, and you're out of commission. Sorry. No, and I thought I thought it was also very funny how Hook, uh, the second that they they get to talk to um, Blue, he's immediately tell us what you know. We need to know everything right now. Just get come on. It's like, wow, let the lady catch your breath. Yeah. Well, Hook wants to get That's married right. tomorrow, so he's <laughs> a bit eager. To get things See, he could moving. have broken into, I'm getting married in the morning. That could, <laughs> that could be, be the, the next, next episode. <laughs> <laughs> I liked getting to see Zelina trying to do normal life things yes. without magic. Oh, it was wonderful. That was so much fun. And the uh, funny thing, the the little baby bed there she's trying <laughs> to put together, uh, Sniggler. It's real. Sniggler. Yeah. You can buy it from uh, from IKEA. It's only seventy nine ninety nine right now, but uh, the word "snickler" is Swedish for snails. You're kidding! That's no. awesome. <laughs> how you how you wish your child would crawl once they start crawling? Please slow down, <laughs> child. And she's working as slow as a snail without her yes, magic too. She is, and also kind of. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it, poetic justice or something else, but the keychain that Regina holds up is a little monkey, but it has no wings. Now, mm-hmm. the winged monkeys are from Oz. This monkey 
has no wings, so you could say it's an unwinged monkey. <laughs> Just like Zelina is count now kind of an unmagicked、oh, witch. I like that. Regular monkeys go with regular Zelina. I like that. I really liked that whole scene. Actually, several of the scenes between just the two of them,、uh, this one and the one later in the the Green Goblin. I thought that was the two of them were great. <laughs> you have your driving Miss Zelina. <laughs>、uh, yeah, I love that car. That is that was classy. Yeah, nice and green yeah. too. The perfect. The perfect car. No, that was a lot of fun. Now, their conversation here—great、mm-hmm. conversation between the two of them、uh, in both of these scenes with the IKEA furniture and inside the car—and it makes me think. With Regina saying, "Well, there's a chance that I might not come out of the final battle alive, and and I need someone to watch after Henry and all of this." It makes me think one of them's going to die,、mm-hmm. but it might not be Regina. It might actually be Zelina. Oh, and then Regina winds up with Robin. Yeah. Now it could be Regina. That could be an interesting way to end the development of her character after seeing her character have developed so well over、mm-hmm. these many seasons. Now it's kind of passing on the development to Zelina. Now it's Zelina's turn to really grow up and mature, and for Henry to raise Zelina after Regina raised Henry. I loved that. But if if either of them goes, if either well, we've already said Zelina has sacrificed something very important to her. So in that respect, she has saved people. Whether she is a savior or not, she's certainly done、uh, done done her duty by the people that she's surrounded herself with. It would be very interesting if it's Regina. Who goes during the final battle? If it winds up like Harry Potter, like where you lose two thirds of your cast, it'd be it would be a really interesting arc for Regina to have started as the evil queen and wound up as a a type of savior, somebody who is willing to give themselves up for that. And thinking the way that TV shows often go, it's usually at the end of a season. That they get certain cast to leave the show, maybe contracts expire. They decide to stop writing for that character, and certainly at the end of a series, there might be certain ways that they want to tie up loose ends, including by killing people <laughs> off the show, which is not necessarily the most wonderful way of taking a character off the show. But there are certainly ways that they can make a death yeah, beautiful and meaningful, and meaningful.、Yeah. Which they've done many times before, and then undermined the death yes, very quickly exactly, afterward. Yes. yes, there were several good ones on Lost, with with people exiting the show and people who you desperately wanted to be exited early on. Remember, there was the brother and sister. I can't、yeah. even remember their name. I used to sneer their name all the time. Oh yeah. Hello. No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and his sister. I just wanted to do mean things. It was something trendy, like Courtney or, or、yeah. something like that. Yeah. I also i i liked、uh, i liked how very Australian Zelina became when she was angry in the car. It's like, wow, I guess you can't hide it at that point. <laughs> But it was it was great, and it was also great to have Snow say, "Put your mayor pants on." <laughs> <laughs> Snow's getting feisty. Snow got to be a mayor for a little while too, so she knows what kind of business mayorship is. <laughs> She's feisty, Snow, these days. She's fun. 
So they've got Gideon back inside of Rumpel's shop, all tied up there and wearing the cuff so that he can't use Mm -hmm. his magic. And interesting now that the Black Fairy has anticipated his resisting in the future so that now there's an actual pain if he tries to resist. We've seen Merlin resist the power before and Merlin being the sorcerer, super powerful. Okay, that's understandable. Gideon resisting was probably not so much resisting but kind of sneaking something past the black fairy nonetheless she's made it now that he can't do any kind of resistance Mm. at all yeah i was trying to remember in in the previous seasons when you had somebody's heart and going back to the heart what was it heart is a lonely hunter which was one of my favorite episodes ever regina was in control of the huntsman to a certain degree what i can't remember is how actively she had to be involved in his control. So is it something that you could set up on autopilot with Gideon where she she just made it impossible for him to think outside the you know for to commit a thought crime. We're doing a 1984 podcast right now so I'm <laughs> thought crimes and double speak. Or is it craftlit.com, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> on that podcast. This one's actually called Brave New Podcast. <laughs> uh, okay. We're doing that and Brave New World. So it's loads of fun and happy stuff, of course. But what are the rules? I don't remember what the rules are on when you have possession of somebody's heart. What can you do aside from kill them? Yeah, it seems, well, you can definitely control them. And it does seem that there is a little bit of an autopilot sort of thing where you kind of impose your Mm. will on them and then they go out and do your will and can't counter that. We've seen how Regina controlled Mm -hmm. the huntsman at different times, but as well as the huntsman doing things that certainly Regina would not want him to do, like all of the conversations with Emma Emma and stuff like that. So she wasn't actively controlling him at every single moment, but in general, he followed her will. So she hadn't built in an anti-resistance lock on that one because him talking to Emma would have been the kind of thing that the Black Fairy doesn't want Gideon doing and isn't isn't allowing Gideon to do. Or, well, revealing secrets and helping them Mm -hmm. in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So that's why they have to take him to the dream world back to where they first met him when he was just a baby in the womb right. still. And so that's where the whole Sands of Morpheus stuff Which comes back in. Which I love because the Sandman. So good. Yeah. And I, I, liked, I liked that that was the safe place to go. And I liked that they didn't wind up in the dream that they thought they were going to wind up in. Because isn't that always the way with dreams? That you think you can control them and then not so much. Yeah. I, I like what Emma said. Uh, she thought that maybe there'd be flying pigs <laughs> or donuts. talking donuts. <laughs> the line talking donuts is what Neil said in episode 512, Souls of the Departed, when he talked to Emma on her way to the underworld. And he was in the back seat of the little bug there and he caught her just before she was passing through. And he said, no, nah, if this was a dream, there'd be like talking donuts or something weird I like totally that. I totally forgot that. And that warms my heart because I miss Neil so much. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think everybody he's does. Guy. The home that they find that was where Rumpel was born, they said that's where he was born. And looking at that set for that home, it's the same set as Rumpel's home later when he has Bellfire. Now... Is that intentional, that he stayed in that home, he inherited it, that's where he and Bellfire live? No, because this home is in the middle of a forest, and later on when he has Bellfire, they're kind of in a clearing, in a field sort of area. So it's 
unintentional, kind of accidental that this is basically the same home. Good eye. I recognize sets sometimes like crazy. Jenny and I were watching um, something just recently. I said, hey, that is the scene from this other movie that takes place in this particular thing. It's, It's right there. And hey, if you watch the new Godzilla mm-hmm. movie, then uh, you'll recognize Storybrooke is actually in it. Not as Storybrooke, but there is a scene where they're driving nuclear weapons through <laughs> the middle of this town, Storybrooke. which is Storybrooke. <laughs> I yeah. love it. I used to be able to recognize streets on back lots, but that was that was a long time ago. A lot of those back lots don't exist anymore, so it was very sad. So meanwhile, down in the mines, black and blue are down there, and this is creepy, mm-hmm. just the way that she's singing the song. Mm-hmm. And then with these tools that she has. Yeah. It's very much the, are you safe? Is it safe? Here, I have some essence of clove for you. Yeah, I was creeped out by the leather pouch and all of that stuff. It's very... So do you think it was actual physical torture? Because she did get her information. She did show up at Granny's, so she knew where she needed to go. So that means that she got what she needed to from She was Blue. holding that wand very Voldemort-like at one point. She didn't have her pinky yeah. finger up, but she was close. <laughs> well, was it a wand or was it some kind of physical torture instrument? Because everything else in that was little leather uh, roll-up... Yeah, it was a physical torture yeah. instrument. One of, one of them was actually for the sewers in the audience. Um, they probably noticed there's an old an old fashioned tool that you used to have chalk paper, and you'd have a tool that looked like a a spur on a stick, and you could run that over the chalk paper, and it would leave a chalk line on the fabric. So when you had to cut, it's a very old fashioned tool. I don't even know if they make them anymore, but that was one of the tools in there. And at first I laughed and then I thought, I still wouldn't want it applied anywhere on my body. So I think it qualifies as an implement of torture. I'm sure you could do damage with that. I did even wonder because she, the way it was being set up was like, you're going to torture me. And she's like, no, I have other ways of getting you to talk. That's kind of my impression of what was kind of being communicated. So it makes me think that maybe that wand-like thing was more a way to forcefully remove Remove thoughts. thoughts. Yeah, like a magic extractor device to suck knowledge out of somebody's brain, which has still got to be uncomfortable. So meanwhile, the heroes are going to Granny's, the heart of Storybrooke is at Granny's. And apparently, (laughs) yeah. And apparently the heart of Granny's is the jukebox. I would have thought it would have been like under some of her frozen lasagna or something (laughs) like that. Or the stool that Hook is always sitting on. I, I, honest to God, had this reaction when they both said jukebox. I thought, no, you can't destroy the jukebox. It's the last vinyl in town. You can't break all those records. And then they didn't. So I felt much better after that. I, I was relieved. <laughs> but I loved, I loved that it came down to the jukebox. And how smart of them to look under it. Yeah. And instead of smashing <laughs> it in. Yeah, looking for it. Yes. When the Black Fairy shows up and she and Regina are outside, she claims she created this town by extension by creating the curse. But you have to wonder, well, did she really? Like, was that, if the curse changed forms in certain ways, was this town actually part of the curse? Probably. So probably the way she created the curse was to create this town and send whoever she selected 
to this town in the land without magic. So, okay, I can I can kind of go along with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also liked the uh, the line, you didn't even have the guts to use your own curse, that that was a nice, a nice zinger. And wow, I, just like the Black Fairy, I did not see Zelina coming. I had, <laughs> yeah, that was I, I guffawed wonderful. at that moment. I thought that was wonderful. One of the funniest things to ever happen in Once Truly. Upon a Time. And her reaction too was no. great just before oh and one of the nice little details and you, I, I watched the show in high definition what we get from itunes when we purchase the episodes so i don't know if you can see this in the standard definition versions but after she's hit and she's kind of rolling around you can't actually see some black feathers <laughs> flying around which is just a nice little extra detail <laughs> that's beautiful <laughs> just before she's hit mm-hmm. by zelina she does some last bit of magic on Regina. So the timeline here in the scene is she uses some magic on Regina that pushes Backwards. Regina back but doesn't knock her over. Regina does that whole cool, you know, I'm still on my feet Crouching kind of tiger, sliding back thing, moves. which was, yeah, yeah, very, very much like that. So that was the first piece of magic that the Black Fairy used on Regina. And then right before Zelina hit the Black Fairy... The Black Fairy does some other little bit of magic where she's holding her hand out and projecting some magic. And you see it kind of hit, wrap around, and then disappear around Mm -hmm. Regina. So I wonder, was this just like a weak hit? Was it something she stopped because she saw the car coming? Or was it maybe something actually significant? Because she did say, essentially, that Regina would regret Mm -hmm. doing this. Yeah, you wonder if there's going to be a payoff later for that in uh that she's that she's setting something up. She certainly has been playing a long game on uh on many fronts it seems and it wouldn't surprise me at all if she has uh decided to to play a long con with Regina as well. Set some seed a growing. Back in the dream world, Rumpel and Emma keep having these really great, vulnerable, relatable moments with each other where there's a lot of transparency. Rumpel is being very transparent, vulnerable, honest, open, and all of this stuff until the end <laughs> yeah. of the episode. Oops. Yeah, no, the scene the scene between the two of them, I thought was, um, it's one of the things that I've, I've from the very first season that I've really, really respected about Once Upon a Time is that in within this world of fairy tales and things that are so um, non-real definitionally, that they have managed to place these very, very real and often very painful moments and done such a nice job with them. And the the thing with Emma saying, look, I understand it's terrifying finding out why you were abandoned. And and it hadn't occurred to me what that could do. Um, until she put it that way. I mean, you always, you, you read about, um, about children who were put up for adoption having, um, issues later on sometimes. And especially if, if they were confused or left confused about the whole process. Um, but the idea that they're both bad at being vulnerable, being tied to this, this moment of abandonment is heartbreaking and and beautiful and it it makes me hope that rumple still can pull out some saviorness saviornicity saviornessness saviorousnessness 
<laughs> later on. <laughs> when they wake back mm-hmm. up, uh, Gold did some little magic to the wand. And I wondered, was that just his putting the pieces together and mending it? Or was it something that he like activated it? Or did he somehow protect it or do some other kind of Harry Potter-esque magic to the wand? Because uh, in, in the next scene, which we'll get into more in just a moment, it looks like Black Fairy is holding yeah. that wand. So did he basically poison it and turn it into a trap? That'd be awesome. That'd be really cool. I I couldn't figure out what was uh, what we were supposed to get out of that one. It could be interesting though. So he decides to go at nightfall, <laughs> nicely black mm-hmm. and foggy, and mysterious and snowing too, to do this face off with the black fairy, all by him, his little lonesome <laughs> self. So I want to go back to this big secret mm-hmm. that Black Fairy didn't want him to know. And was the secret that she abandoned him or how she abandoned him that he's the savior? Or was the secret really that he is the only one who can defeat the Black Fairy? So this whole setup for the final battle, everyone's thinking it's Emma versus Mm -hmm. the Black Fairy. And if that's the way that the final battle were to play out, Emma would lose, the Black Fairy would win, but no one would realize that it was the wrong person fighting the battle. So is that why Black Fairy didn't want Rumple to know the real reason she gave him up? Because she d- didn't want him to know. But then she just spills out all out here right now to basically say, well, you're the one destined to destroy me. But she's presenting it in a different way. Yeah. I'm Again, I think she is playing a long con. I cannot figure out ex- what all of the different possibilities are for what she really wants to have happen. But there are there are several levels of different characters having secret agendas that are going on here. And it's, it makes me all very uncomfortable. I like having people be straightforward and gold. I don't know what's going on with gold now. Gideon, I still, he's got his heart, I guess. Maybe it's his heart. Maybe it's a faux heart. I can't tell. I can't tell anymore. I'm so confused. It's probably his real heart. I think it must be because he seems to be, well, did we get actual confirmation on the fake heart? that gold comes back with after his face off with the black fairy basically yeah uh and in the last scene the black fairy does say something about they believed it was mine thus basically saying it's it's not actually mine but did they believe it was yeah it was just a mock-up yeah or a pig's heart maybe (laughs) here at the park in this face-off between them i i like that she asks for forgiveness Mm. and also uh Later on, Gideon asks for forgiveness, Mm -hmm. too, when he gets his heart back. But in the Black Fairy's case, she's basically saying, will you forgive me? Now join me on the dark side (laughs) and let's rule this place. Yeah. Forgive me for being a bad mother. But hey, let's go hang now and do some real bad stuff. Well, it's like with my kids. If they say sorry, but you know they're going to do whatever they just did again later or tomorrow or the next day. Having to say to your kid, I appreciate the fact that you know that you're supposed to say sorry, but if you want me to actually hear you say it, it has to come along with the, and I'm not going to do it again. And there has to be be some, some larger part of the bargain saying sorry doesn't cost you much. 
And so the, the can you forgive me felt so, especially coming from the Black Fairy, felt so trite and just not particularly hard one. And I would have said, are you crazy, woman? No. And she still sees her actions or her intentions, mm-hmm. not her actions, maybe, but she sees her intentions as honorable. She's doing this because she loves Rumple. And this whole thing about, it's kind of the Batman Black Fairy mother. Um, I'm not the mother you need, or I'm not the mother you deserve, but I'm the mother you need. <laughs> That's what she's basically doing. So that she believed it was easier to let Rumple hate her mm. until she could find a way for them to be together, mm-hmm. which is an odd way to mm-hmm. go about it. It's a weird it. kind of parenting. So, yeah, all of that hate and fear and other things are building up and then when there's the great reveal that hey i'm here let's just hug and be a family together all of this was for you yeah (sighs) yeah it feels it feels awfully awfully weak there's a in in into the woods the sondheim musical there's the the line between uh, Rapunzel, who the witch has treated so abominably trapping her in a tower and abandoning her and all this stuff and Finally, Rapunzel is able to confront her and say, you did all these things to me. And the witch turns to her and says, I was only trying to be a good mother. And you think, wow, parenting classes can really be useful. (laughs) Perhaps, perhaps now's a good time. And why also the need to make Gideon the way he was, like to, to abuse Gideon. If she was doing everything to try to get back to Rumpel... Why bother turning Gideon and abusing Gideon in the way yeah. that she did? I thought that was just cruel and and evil. I mean, truly evil to do that uh, after you purportedly love your your child so much and had spent time as a fairy, where your whole purpose was allegedly to uh, keep children safe. To to turn around and do that to another another child, one who had never done you any harm, not like any infant does anybody any harm. They keep me awake. But aside from that, they didn't do any harm. So he apparently maybe gives forgiveness and they come up with a plan that, hey, let's go, you know, kill that pig over there and use its heart and pretend it's your heart. Let's go get Gideon's heart back. So it's a sign of good faith and everyone will think you're defeated with no flashing lights, no big loud noises, no earthquakes, nothing like that. Just poof, defeated. And I use the wand on you and all of that. Okay. So then they're they're back together and rumple says this the black fairy will never again be a problem for us Us. for us yeah and that whole scene felt to me like uh rumple carefully parsing his language and making sure that he wasn't lying but he wasn't also telling the complete truth and then he even says it may not always seem apparent at the time but everything I do is for you, to keep you safe. So his reasoning for working with the Black Fairy now is to keep Belle and mm-hmm. Gideon safe. That doesn't answer the question, though, is whose side is he yeah. really on? Is he doing a double agent sort of thing? Is he manipulating the Black Fairy? Or is he actually siding with her because he realizes... That that's the only way to keep Belle and Gideon. That's safe. what I started to wonder: is if he's uh, he would love it if he could be a hero and defeat the Black Fairy, and that would be great and all. But knowing his track record, he was 
He's probably uh, long odds at best. And so the next priority would be just to keep Bell and Gideon out of the melee. But it seems like all of the stuff about his being the savior seems like not only a shock for him, but also something kind of awe-inspiring. Mm-hmm. Like I could be him. capable of that? Yeah. Yeah. Like realizing I, I never thought I could be good, but wow, I'm actually destined yeah. to be good. It would have to be a huge shock for him to to finally have a reason to listen to his better angels and not feel like he was being a sucker for doing it. I've always gotten the sense that he, um, because of his history as being called a coward and all of that stuff, that he thought that being good was on some way a, the loser's way out instead of seeing it for the kind of strength that it really is. And so this is this would have to be a, a big head turner for him. And honestly, if it was something that was happening in real time, it would take a while, I think, for you to figure all that out and, and how you really felt about stuff. And in the meantime, keep your wife and kids safe. Hide your kids, <laughs> hide your wives. Get the pitchfork. <laughs> Have fun storming the castle. I'm not sure it's going to work, though. <laughs> But everyone in town now feels like, hey, yay, we can have the wedding. So commence with Operation Best Man. Henry gets to be the ring bearer and the best man. That's that's pretty cool for him. Uh, I have never been asked to be in someone else's wedding other than my own family's, my own wedding, of course, although I was the one who did the asking uh, for that. And I've played piano for other weddings, but I've never gotten to be a groomsman or a best man for a friend. I brought this up in our full discussion last week where I ruined basically Once Upon a Time in many TV shows. Well, for once, here Emma walks in and a character is walking into the room. And for once, they did not hear the conversation that had just happened before they walked in. (laughs) I did what now? (laughs) Who what? That was great. It was very real. And it was lovely. That whole scene was just lovely. Henry was lovely. Hook was lovely. And good on Hook, being a good stepdad, being a good groom, not spending the night here now. No, we're getting married tomorrow, sleeping on a ship. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was great. So they are getting married tomorrow, which tomorrow basically means next episode. I think probably we all know that's coming. Then we have, of course, the last scene, which makes us all get worried and sets up the premise for whatever's coming next. This scene that happens out uh, in one of the alleyways. And it's interesting that there's this this gate right there. I think everyone sees on it that it says, do not block gate ever. <laughs> Some interesting things. The way that Black Fairy stands at certain points, she's blocking the O in block. So it's do not block. Mm. Ever do not black gate ever do not. Uh, I wonder even if it's some kind of like if you jumbled up the letters and could you get something else that makes any kind of sense? Probably not. I've played a little bit with it and couldn't figure anything out. But nonetheless, uh, <laughs> I think everyone had their attention on that in the background. And a couple of listeners did also notice that there was the moon that was the same shape as the black fairy scar. Moon. Yeah. 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 And that's, let's see, that's a waning moon. So it's on the way to the dark side. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Nice. Bell and Gideon are asleep. Do you think that's under a spell? 
I kind of just assumed that when he said that they were both asleep. It didn't seem like he'd probably left them all that long ago, and they seemed wide awake to me. So, yeah, I think they're going to stay asleep was the the vibe that I got off that one. They're talking about this final battle as basically being the happy ending for them. And it, it goes back to what why has the Black Fairy been doing all of this in the first place? What was to get back to Rumple? Because that's what she said just before she was thrown into the Dark Realm. She said she would never stop trying to get back to, to, to Rumple uh, for however long it took, which is a wonderful statement, you know, very motherly, very loving and all of that. Now this final battle, now she's back and this final battle thing is still part of her requirement for a happy ending. My thought is that what she actually wants now is in all of these hundreds or maybe even thousands of years that she's been alive since time works significantly differently in the Dark Realm, maybe she's grown super bitter against anyone with light magic. And so to her, the final battle is let's destroy anyone and everyone with light magic so that then there will be no one who could possibly separate their family. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I can't help but think that her definitions of things like a happy family or a happy ending or a happy anything couldn't have been completely tainted by all the time that she spent in the dark realm. And I think we saw a lot of that with Gideon's, uh, the clips that we've seen of his childhood in the, and the way that he was being treated uh, when he was, when he was younger. Um, But even the way he was being treated when, when he was older, I mean, she was so manipulative and, and if, you know, if that's how you love your kid, then here's a, here's a book by Dr. Spock. <laughs> now, I mentioned the wand, and it's really hard to see. When you see her from the side, her arm, both of her arms are in front of her, her hands in front of her. Then she does look down at a wand she's holding, and she smiles at it when she's talking about tomorrow being the day that Emma dies. So a lot of things are going to happen it's tomorrow. A it's a big day, day for Emma. She's going to get married. She's got her wedding, her uh, death to plan. Um, you know, where can she fit anything else in? So the Black Fairy is looking at A1, and you see only the tiny little bit of the tip of it. And it does look like that's Blue's wand that she used to cast the Black Fairy mm-hmm. out. But it's hard to tell. It would make sense if it is. Maybe Rumple gave it to her, but what other wand might she have? So I think it makes sense that maybe she's now wielding that wand. Maybe there's a Harry Potter thing going on, where the and the wand is going to in some way defeat right. her. But it's hard. It's hard to know. We'll see. It could be another one of those prophecy things where the all the work that you do trying to avoid the prophecy is the thing that brings about your ultimate demise. And speaking of prophecy, Nathaniel sent this feedback saying, I believe that the prophecy for Rumpel was already fulfilled when his mother, the dark evil, cut his destiny away, having destroyed the Savior. Therefore, I think that Rumpel is the dark evil that will show up in the final battle. This idea comes from the interview given a few years ago that Adam and Eddie already knew how they would end the series if season one did not take off before any mention of the Black Fairy. This leads me to believe two possible things. One, the final battle will be between Emma and Rumple, not Emma mm. and the Black Fairy. Or two, the final battle will be between Rumple and Henry, 
while Emma has been the decoy this whole time. After listening to the initial reactions for this episode, it occurred to me that it was Henry that had the funny light Mm -hmm. flicker happen, not Emma. It was Henry that really came to the rescue for Storybrooke by bringing Emma to the town and making Mm -hmm. her believe. I would also say it was Henry who got kissed, and that's what broke the initial spell. Although, then again, Rumpel did write Emma into the curse as the savior for the curse. Um, Nathaniel continues, The show focuses a lot on Emma, but really the show started out about Henry bringing people to believe the impossible. Would Henry then be the real savior in disguise and not Emma? Remember in season two, that horrible thought Gold had about killing Henry on the swing because he knew the great danger he posed for Gold? Now, Henry is starting to embrace more of his author powers, powers given by Merlin, the greatest possessor of light magic. It is possible that Henry is meant to be the savior in this final battle and not Emma. Nicely done, Nathaniel. Yeah, I like that. That's going to be fun. And that would be a really neat way to end the story, rewarding that Mm -hmm. character, uh, the author, to be the one who brings the yeah. happy ending. And and how cool to rec- to reward Henry for having the gumption to find Emma and bring her back and, and work so hard to convince her. And yeah. And maybe that's why Henry couldn't write and Emma won the final battle oh. because it's not Emma's right. battle to face. It's right. his. So it wasn't that he was being stopped from writing it because you can't write the end. It's that he was being stopped from writing it because you can't write the wrong end. Oh, I like yeah. that. Yeah. That'd be so fun. Yeah. Andrea, or maybe it's Andrea, from Los Angeles, California, said the fact that Rumpel was destined to be the savior shouldn't have been that much of a surprise since the show had been foretelling it in various ways over the seasons. First, having true love with Belle. Then in season four finale, Rumpel is the light one in Isaac's alternate reality. Also, in the season three mid-season finale, when Rumpel kills his father, there is a gold slash white light shooting out as he plunges the dagger into Pan as well as in season five, he is the only one worthy enough to pull the Camelot sword out of the rock. Not to mention the fact that throughout season five, the references that Rumple might be the one that Merlin prophesized to wield both the dark and light magic. Also in keeping in the savior requirements, so to speak, with Emma saving people, Rumple saved all the children from the Ogre's War, as well as saving Belle and Neil and the town in the episode Going Home. So looking back, the hints were there about Rumpel being potentially full of light. I'm just surprised that the writers kept continuity with that part of the storyline. Mm. I would add, uh, thank you for the feedback, Andrea, or Andrea. Uh, I would add, if they are indeed keeping continuity, which in some ways I feel like they aren't. Yeah. But maybe they are. There are so many possibilities at this point. Well, that's very cool. And then one other possibility that flips this all around as well uh, is from Meredith of Everett, Washington. She said, Rumpel's and Emma's history is sketchy, but they get each other. And in that dream realm, it was the first olive branch she's extended. So no, I don't think he's going to choose his mother who tortured his son over the savior who he's watched succeed over and over again. He watched his mother make the same mistake he did, choosing power. That... And knowing he was supposed to be born for something good. If that doesn't jolt his mixed morality, nothing will. <laughs> I like that. Thank you, Those Meredith. Those are great. So we've got the final battle coming up. But before we do, we've got a wedding apparently <laughs> tomorrow. 
And then, and then somebody's going to die. die. Oh, well, at least you get a good party first. I really, really expect that the Black Fairy will burst into the wedding and say something like, sorry, I'm late. <laughs> or or maybe, just to be fun, Regina will actually do it, but not burst in and be all scary-like. But she'll come in and she'll be like, oh, sorry, I'm late. <laughs> and then Doc will be there to say, it's the queen. <laughs> we can start. You know, like totally taking that yep. opening from Once Upon a Time and flipping it around that now everyone's happy the queen is there at this wedding and it's someone else, darker, more menacing, that they don't want yeah, at this wedding. It would be great if they if they did a nice, uh, if they played around a little bit with that paradigm that they set up so well at the beginning, having her walk in and say, never mind, it's not a cash bar, everything's free, and yay, <laughs> confetti and flags and everything. It'd be great. I am kind of curious to see how a royal wedding for Storybrooke royalty is going to look in this world. It will be magical. Ha ha. I hope so. And yes, I hope that Grumpy so, says something good to say. <laughs> good news, finally. He'll be running around. Good news, good news, good news. <laughs> Poor Lee Ehrenberg isn't going to know what to hit him. It's like, what? I get to say what? <laughs> So there's some fun stuff coming up, and we have some spoilers that will be coming up too, but I'm going to do something a little bit interesting before I play the spoilers from Hunter and Jacqueline. I'll close the podcast out, but I want to share with you the promo for the next episode if you haven't heard it already, and I want to share my reactions to that promo. So feel free to stick around for that, and that'll be coming up And uh, because I haven't watched the promo or heard the promo yet i'm really looking forward to this next episode even though i don't actually like musicals i'm looking forward to the <gasps> Daniel, next episode don't say that out loud yeah <laughs> in the meantime we'd love your feedback on the upcoming episodes of once upon a time our conversation about this episode is now concluded but you can continue the conversation in our forums or comment on the show notes and share this episode with all of your friends by going to oncepodcast.com slash 297. And it's really cool that our initial reactions on the season finale is going to be episode 300. Awesome. That's, yeah, really nice and special. So we hope you'll join us for that. We hope you'll join us for the finale party if you can. We will still live stream our initial reactions. Just keep in mind that for the upcoming finale, there is a one-hour special before the finale. The finale itself is two hours long, so you might want to record all three hours if you're DVRing it or anything like that. And we will be there then an hour later to share our initial reactions uh, to the episode, and we hope you'll join us for that. You can join us whenever we do the podcast live by going to oncepodcast.com slash live. And in the meantime, please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast, and you can follow each of us individually. I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at the Daniel J. Lewis. And I'm Heather Ordover on Twitter as at Mama O. This podcast would not be possible without our great team behind us. So special thanks to Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanis from AudioEditingSolutions.com for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers, Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding the timeline, and to my fellow co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Heather, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting this podcast with me. We have a lot of fun together. And until next time... It's time for you to put on your mayor pants. And thanks for listening.
Once podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you would like to be a hero too, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero and support the podcast with what you feel the podcast is worth to you. That's at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. All right, Heather, do you want to stick around for this? or I would love to. I want to see this. Have you seen the promo? No, I've been very careful about not doing spoilerishness okay. for anything. One wish upon a star. I wish we had what we needed to help them to give her a chance at a happy ending. And the entire enchanted forest is singing. Love is the most powerful magic of all. They cast a spell so everyone breaks into song. <laughs> what? Okay, that's so totally Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I was just going to say, oh my gosh, that's so Buffy. <laughs> but nonetheless, that okay, that explains why suddenly everyone's singing. It's a magical fairy tale wedding event. Once upon a time, the musical episode next Sunday, eight seven central on ABC. Archie's officiating. Yeah, yeah. This is like the first time I've watched a promo in years, guys. I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> the music sounds like it will be fun. So it sounds like uh, they someone thinking that oh, this would be a great way to make the wedding better make the day more magical is to make everyone break out in song okay that that makes sense and it's a funny thing maybe like the curse went a little bit badly uh, maybe it was an accident <laughs> that this happens but nonetheless okay believable setup and the music sounds like it'll be good as long as it wasn't an auto-tune curse or something like that because that would not be so much fun yeah some of the cast uh, do have musical talent and i have seen some uh, names of songs and who will be singing them. I know that Lee Ehrenberg will sing a little bit, which, I mean, to see Grumpy sing, that'll be interesting. He was at UCLA. The, he graduated the year before I, I got into the theater program. And I, I know some people who were there with him. I'll see if I can find out if he had musical theater work that he did when he was there. This is for the episode, The Song in Your Heart. That's the name of the episode. <laughs> You know, and much of what I'm saying might be redundant with what Hunter and Jacqueline will say in their spoiler segment, but that's okay. You want to hear what I think since I almost never, or really never talk about spoilers, right? <laughs> I know I'm on the press site from ABC right now, and I know that they posted some sound bites. Oh, Sean says they posted two whole songs, Hooks and Regina's. And uh, some articles I'm seeing say it's a swashbuckling delight. And looking at the the promo photo and the video, uh, it looks very much like Beauty and the Beast, like Gaston in the tavern singing. Mm -hmm. And here's a little sneak peek of his song. My dear prince and princess, your offer is meaningless. Don't give it damn much. I love it. I love it. I love it already. I do want Captain Hook. Oh, I'm going to love this episode. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) His voice actually sounds pretty good. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to this suddenly. Yay. So our next initial reactions will be a whole lot of fun, I'm sure. And we will be singing all of these songs. (laughs) You will have a new song on your heart with the next episode of Once Upon a Time. So we hope you'll join us for that. Join us for our initial reactions on Sunday. 
And if you want to purchase the soundtrack for the episode, then go to oncepodcast.com slash musical. That'll take you to a page with some links so that you can purchase from iTunes or from Amazon or all of these places. The soundtrack will be available. And when you purchase from there and make any other purchases through those links, that will also help support the podcast. So go to oncepodcast.com slash musical. I'm sure you will want to own your own copy even ahead of time if you hear this before then so that you can be singing these songs too. oncepodcast.com slash musical. And now here are more better planned out, better discussed spoilers for upcoming episodes. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast. Episode 620, The Song in Your Heart. Guess what? Hunter, it's a musical. It's a musical. <laughs> Did you guys know this? It's a musical. Oh my gosh, it's a musical. Okay. And guess what else it is? A musical? It's a wedding. Because none of us knew this. <laughs> okay, so in flashbacks, Snow and Charmy make a special wish that Emma will be protected. The result of their wish has the whole kingdom bursting into song, and which infuriates the evil queen. Meanwhile, in Storybrooke, the Black Fairy announces her plans to unleash another curse on the town while Emma and Hook prepare for their wedding. Written by David H. Goodman and Andrew Chambliss, directed by Ron Underwood, and because it's a musical, music written by Michael Wiener and Alan Zachary and Mark Isham composes. Wait, is this the musical? I think so. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. We're only going to make that joke like 15 more times, I promise. Okay. (laughs) We have a ton of guest stars. Yeah, there's a lot that I wasn't expecting. There are a ton of guest stars. So we have um, almost all of the dwarfs. We have Grumpy, we have Doc, Sneezy, Sleepy, Happy, Bashful. Um, So we're just, I think we're just missing a few. Well, we're missing Dopey, and we're missing Stealthy. Right. Um, I think by this point in the flashback, Stealthy is dead. And Dopey, who knows? (laughs) Who knows where Dopey is? Yeah, it was just Dopey that's missing, because there's six of them. Yeah. We have Tony Amandela back as Geppetto. We have Keegan Connor Tracy back as the Blue Fairy. Raphael Sabarge is back as Jiminy Cricket, Beverly Elliott as Granny. We have Giancarlo Esposito as Sydney. I know, I was very, very surprised at that one. He was able to, you know, break free from AMC to come down for a little bit, apparently. Christopher Gaultier as uh, Smee, whom we haven't seen in quite some time. Yep. And, of course, we have Jamie Murray as the Black Fairy. And we have Jack... Favis as young Pinocchio, McKenna Grace as young Emma, and Ari Gozheel as older girl. Yeah. So we got a promo. We did. Guess what? It's, it's a musical! musical. <laughs> <laughs> so it starts off with Snow on the balcony of her castle wishing on a star. And then everyone in the Enchanted Forest is dancing and singing. And you only really hear the one song, but like... You see other people dancing in the background, like, throughout it. So the evil queen is dancing all sassy-like. She is. She's got this really cute little dance move that is hilarious. Swinging her hips. Yeah. Looks like there's going to be a cute little duet between Snow and Charming. Evil queen actually states that they cast a spell so that everyone breaks into song, which we kind of figured was going to happen because, hey, it's a musical. It is. It is. And it ends with Emma and Hook at the altar. So, right, so it kind of looks to me like 
pretty much, I don't know how it happens, but all the singing and the dancing is going to take place in fairy tale land. Fairy tale. Enchanted well, Forest. That's what I meant to say. Some of it. It's, it's split. I think most of the singing will be taking place in the Enchanted Forest, but the spell that was cast by Snow and, and Charming, this wish that was made, comes back up in present day because we do know that Emma, grown Jennifer Morrison, is going to be singing. There is a very small little duet between Emma and Hook, and then there is a big final musical number which seems to take place between everybody at the wedding. So majority of it is Enchanted Forest, but there is some of it in present day. Yes. And with this, we got a sneak peek. We got two, and... <laughs> yeah. I didn't... I've yet, I will be upfront about it. I haven't seen the second one yet, because from what you said, it just released. It just came out about two minutes before we sat down to record, so I watched it really quickly. Um, but I think this might be the first time in a long time you and I have actually had sneak peeks to talk about. I think so. So the first one we got, it's, this, actually, this one's pretty funny. Snow and Charming walk into the pub, and they come across Smee, and they want to see if the, the, if everyone breaks into song and dance. And it's Hook's song. It is. They mistake Smee for the captain of a pirate ship, and there's kind of some funny dialogue. And then Hook appears and says, you know, no, I'm the captain. And then he breaks into this rock sea chanty kind of song um and i'm gonna say this and i think everybody who listens to this knows that i'm not a hook fan it was fantastic he's a really good singer colin has such a good voice guys and it was very very enjoyable it's very disney it's very you know what it's a little bit gallivant i know they had that little bit of comedy like in the middle of it and i'm like that's so gallivant I, I love when in the middle of a musical episode like this, you know, there's something that kind of breaks that wall. And there's a line where um, Hook is basically singing about revenge and how revenge is going to be his. Because we all know who he, who he wants revenge on. Right. And Snow says something like, who is he even talking about? And Hook sings to her, just wait for the second verse. And yep. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. And it's very gallivant. And it's very cute. Um and there's some dancing, you know, hooks up on a table at one point. You can tell that they really put their all into this number at the very least. Yes, I really enjoyed this. If See, I didn't get to really see a lot of the other preview stuff. If it's all like this, I'll be very happy. Yeah. So we got a second sneak peek, like we said, about two minutes ago before we sat down to record this. And I'm the only one that got to watch it, so I'll kind of explain it. But it seems to be very early in the episode, and it's the evil queen. And remember, this is our evil queen from season one. This isn't Regina's split half. It's nothing like that. We're back in season one territory. So she's in her castle, and she's um, very upset, and she's sort of pacing in her mirror room. Um, wondering why everybody is bursting into song. And this is where we see the magic mirror who sings along with her that her curse may not go off as planned because everybody is singing so sweetly. And then 
really cool. They have various mirrors set up, and Regina goes up to every single one of them, and we see various characters singing. So we have Granny, who's knitting Emma's baby blanket, and she's singing about how happy days are here again. We see Geppetto and Pinocchio, and Geppetto is singing to Pinocchio. And then, <laughs> hilariously, we have Jiminy Cricket sing, and he's he's a cricket, so he's just making a little chirpy noise. Aww, that's <laughs> awesome. Hilarious. And then we also see Grumpy in the mines with his fellow dwarves going off to work. And they do actually go, um, you know, like, hi-ho, hi-ho, so. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's It's off to work work we go. We work all day. Hi-ho, 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 hi-ho. Sorry, guys. (laughs) That was completely necessary. Um, And then their last one is she does see Snow and Charming very briefly, and they are also singing. This launches her into singing her own song, Love Doesn't Stand a Chance. And it's very uh, it's very rocker. It's very singing, talking kind of. Um, she's got some really great dance moves. It's, it's definitely fun to watch. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. But we got photos. We did. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you guys, these photos are all from the first sneak peek. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be a Once Upon a Time episode if they didn't completely give us disappointing photos. Yeah, I mean, um, we got the two we've already gotten. Yeah. We've got the one of Hook standing at the altar with Archie behind him. We yeah. also got the one with um, Emma being walked down the aisle. Yeah. So we got those last week, because I remember talking about those. We did. And then, so they re-released those two, and then... Right after you watch the promo, guess what? You get to see all that in stills. Yeah, it's all Hook. And it's all Hook um, during this, his one song. He's standing on the table. There are pirates around. He's talking with Snow and Charming. Um, So, yeah, disappointing photos. I really wish we had some from other songs. Yeah. Although, I am so surprised with the way ABC does their marketing that half the photos weren't captain hook singing and the other half weren't the the wedding i really just thought we were gonna get just photo after photo of the wedding yeah oh well we'll just have to wait to see it on sunday but we got a script tease we got a script tease that is a song and i don't know how we're gonna do this (laughs) it is a duet it's snow and charming singing together would you just like to read it you don't have to sing it because we don't know the tune yeah, I really don't want to sing. Nobody ever <laughs> wants to hear me sing, guys. <laughs> but just remember, it's no and charming singing together. Yes. Because love is the most powerful magic of all. It's a powerful magic when two voices soar. Yeah. So there you go. I don't know. So this this is actually from the promo. Um, the little bit of the musical that you do see in the promo, Snow and Charming are singing because love is the most powerful magic of all. And that one hasn't been met with great applause. Everyone's kind of cringing at that. So I'm hoping that this opening number, because it's probably the opening number. It is. We have the soundtrack list. And the first one is entitled Powerful Magic. And it's Jennifer Goodwin and Josh Dallas. Yeah. So I'm hoping that one comes off a little less cringe-inducing than it does when you read it out loud and when you see it in the promo. 
So, speaking of the soundtrack, we it will be released on iTunes on Friday, May 5th, ahead of the premiere of the episode. Yes. It looks to have eight songs on it. Mm-hmm. So, the first one, like we just said, is Powerful Magic, sung by Jennifer Goodwin and Josh Dallas. The second song is The Queen Sings. So, it's Lana Parala, Lee Ehrenberg, Tony, Amandula, Beverly Elevit. Elliot, Jennifer Goodwin, and Josh Dallas. And then directly following that, and this is basically the second sneak peek, is Love Doesn't Stand a Chance by Lana Puria. Number four is Revenge is Gonna Be Mine, Colin O'Donohue, and the Pirates. And the, yes, the dancing, singing Pirates. Uh, number five is Wicked Always Wins by Rebecca Mater. Number six is Charming vs. Evil Queen, Jennifer Goodwin, Josh Dallas, and Lana Perella. Number seven is Emma's Theme, which is sung by Jennifer Morrison, and we'll have more on that one in just a moment. And then finally, number eight is A Happy Beginning, Jennifer Morrison. It's like everybody. It's everybody. Like, Um, even Jared Gilmore and the Once Upon a Time, the musical episode chorus. Yes. Jared has said that he only does get a single sung line, and it's going to be in this moment. Um, Missing from this are... Robert Carlyle and Emily DeRaven. Bobby does appear in the episode. We see him very briefly in the promo in a flashback as Dark One Rumple. Um, I don't believe Belle is in this episode at all. That, it's just strange. I just, like, you got everyone else, and how can you have a wedding without those two there? Yeah. Yeah, I agree Belle should at least be at the wedding, um, but Emily has said that she asked very much not to sing. That she was told, I guess, very young in her her life that she couldn't sing, so she kind of begged and pleaded to not sing. So that does explain why she's not singing. That's okay if she's not singing, even though they're all cursed. I don't know. Okay, we've got a lot of information on this soundtrack. We do. (laughs) The writers gave an interview with E.T. Online where they specifically talked about the song Powerful Magic, which is the opening number. And Adam said, I think that what I love most about Snow and Charming's duet is there is a very pilot feel to it in a sense. They were so excited to do the musical that when you watch them do their duet, in fact, throughout the whole episode, their enthusiasm is like you can feel it. You see it on their face and they're so excited and it really just makes them come alive. I don't know how to describe it other than it's Snow and Charming you love the most. We got quite a few featurettes that were put out on the ABC press site and have since, you know, as they do, gotten around to everybody. Let's start talking about the behind-the-scenes featurette, then. Okay. It was not that long. It was, what, what like two and a half, three minutes? It was about two and a half minutes. Um, and it opens with Zelina singing, so you get to actually see what it's like to produce a musical or produce an album. She's singing, and you don't hear any music. You just hear her singing. And she sings part of her song. Yeah, and personal opinion here i've heard that the finished product for zelina's song is really good but i kind of thought rebecca sounded a bit rough okay my opinion i think a lot of this is going to be auto-tuned yeah um (laughs) i i think some of it probably will be we do know that we've got talented singers in the cast like colin has always been very upfront about the fact that he loves to sing he's in a Um, band i was doing research after i heard him sing i'm like okay he has to have done musical theater and i mean he's done stage work i don't 
recognize any if they were any musicals, but he is in a band. Yes. So Rebecca was a, a little bit rough, but I think they probably fleshed that out a bit more in um, post-production. And then the big portion of the featurette is a scene between Emma, Henry, her parents, and Hook that takes place, it looks like, inside Mayor Regina's office. And Emma, It's very strange. Emma's very emotional. She's on the floor. Henry is showing her a page out of his storybook and says, you know, see, you've never been alone. And then um, Emma starts singing about everything being hopeless, but then it's kind of hard to hear her a little bit. But what I was surprised at is that it did sound like Jennifer Morrison had a pretty decent voice, which I never knew. Yeah, I didn't either. Now, I grew up with a singing background. I'm just letting you know that. But it looks like she was taking a lot of vocal lessons from just what I could tell with the way she was moving her mouth. Mm, yeah. Like, I don't know if she, like it, it. I bet you she took vocal lessons for this. Probably. But it was just the way she was enunciating. Like, it. it's things I learned in choir classes and stuff like that. And she was over enunciating. And I'm like, okay, let's see how this really sounds once it's all done. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we do go back to the actual scene and the black fairy is there and she tells the black fairy to get it over with, but the black fairy can't kill her. I I wonder if maybe the black fairy has Emma's heart. And of course we know Emma's heart can't be crushed. Right. So then we go back to Emma singing and we, the camera pulls back and we see her whole family's in the room. Frozen, I would imagine, because they are completely still. They're not moving. Yeah. Well, if you really watch them, you can see them sway a little. It's kind of fun. <laughs> and then, according to Henry, whatever she's doing is working. Yes. So I guess she's trying to unfreeze her loved ones with the song? Unfreeze them, protect them, do something with the Black Fairy. I'm not 100% sure yet. No. But then they completely leave that scene, and we go to a dance rehearsal. Yes, and there's it's a lot of partner work, and we see them doing a lot of spins. So I'm thinking it's either... It's like a ball. I want to say it's like a ball. Well, I want to say it's maybe the reception. Okay, I could see that. Right after the wedding. Yeah. But it's completely silent. They don't want you to know what part of the show this is in. Yeah. And then it transitions to the orchestra performing for the episode um, and recording the music. And there's a very nice timpani roll. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Now that I was also in band, I know all those instruments. And I saw them go and I'm like, ooh, that sounds pretty. <laughs> so then we do have a few more interviews about the musical episode. Um, basically, every single major news outlet got its own interview this week. Yes. TV Guide had one in which Adam says, we always put our own spin on the iconic Disney characters, making them real people with real problems. So simply do our own version of famous Disney songs would be a cop-out. Besides, our characters have come so far. You can't have Snow White singing Someday My Prince Will Come when she's already landed him. Um, Very to which true. Jennifer Goodwin added, it would be ridiculous for most TV series to suddenly turn to musical, but this is a perfect fit for us because we've already been so grand and movie-esque. In fact, I've wanted us to do this for years, and as soon as we got the go-ahead, I went into a panic. I can't sing in front of people without breaking into tears. So, little tidbit, she says they pre-recorded her stuff in a blacked-out sound booth so no one could see her, and she also had to pretend to be a Disney princess. 
It's like, because I guess she was singing, but she's very meek, and they're like, pretend you're a princess. So she just switched her mindset and went at it. Yeah. And then finally to this, Eddie added that at most weddings, they're worried about the weather and the catering. At ours, you have to worry about dark curses and who might get killed. That said, Hook and Emma are also hoping for a waffle maker. I like how they still put the comedy in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then one last interview that we got was from TV Line. And it turns out they actually had sat down with the songwriters last summer to begin hashing this out. Which is a kind of fun. Yeah. To know that, that it was this that far in advance planned. So Adam said that after we let the cast know about the musical episode, they got together with the composers to tailor all the songs to each actor and their character specifically. And Jenny says that they ended up presenting us with these gorgeous, original, and really catchy pieces. I really can't see them not being hits. Uh, Jennifer Morrison goes on to say they wrote the songs for our voices because they knew our ranges and where we were comfortable. And Colin O'Donohue says that just as the show takes those sort of characters that everyone knows and makes them fresh and new, in a sense, that's what's happened with the music. Yeah. So, for the moment, that's all we're going to say about this week's coming episode, the musical. Um, There was a screener last night, and we actually have a ton more spoilers But if you do not want to hear an in-depth sort of play-by-play about this episode, we're going to talk about some Season 7 stuff, and then we're going to switch to more spoilers about the musical. And we'll remind you guys, so that way if you don't want to hear anything, you can turn off the podcast. Yes. So, let's talk about Season 7. Hey, are we getting a Season 7? No one knows. (laughs) Um, It is at this point probably a definitive lock. Um, but Adam and Eddie do want to reassure people just in case. So they gave an interview with Entertainment Weekly that said, even though it's a near lock to return and ABC is expected to announce renewals and cancellations next week ahead of its upfront presentation, so after the musical but before the finale, the drama has been heavily hinting at providing resolution to many stories this season as Emma is slated to face the long-awaited final final battle during Sunday's musical hour and, you know, the next episode after that. Yes. Uh, Eddie says, I would say that if the series finale, then if it is the series finale, then you will have the usual opinions on series finale ranging from best ever to worst ever because that's the intent. What I would say for fans is it will be complete, so they will not have any dangling threads that they are like, I can't believe it. We're not going for a crazy ending that everyone goes, well, what did that mean? I feel unsatisfied. We understand that this could be the last year. We feel like we completed the story, and the next chapter of Once Upon a Time will be completely different. Of course, we've been talking about for some time what this means for the cast. Um, At the upfront renewal, I don't know if we'll finally get who is officially leaving we're pretty sure that jenny goodwin and josh dallas are leaving um that whatever role jennifer morrison is going to have it might be reduced uh still no word about robert carlisle or emily DeRaven. although given what happened last weekend with the episode the black fairy i'm really expecting rumple to die and for bobby to bow out and i kind of think that Emily DeRaven, who plays Belle, will kind of move on as well. That's Those are my predictions. 
they, they might be talked about in passing, but we won't see them. Yeah. Be like, I, oh, I had lunch with Belle the other day, or we, I went and visited Belle at the shop. and Yeah. So next week we should have an official announcement for you guys and maybe also an updated cast list. Because if they are renewed, remember, they said that the two new characters played by Andrew J. West and Allison Fernandez are going to be coming back. And I don't know if it's reoccurring, if it's regular, but they're probably going to be taking the show forward. Into the next chapter. Yes. Into the next storybook. Okay, guys, this is your final warning. We're going to actually go in-depth into this episode. Yes, so if you don't want to hear any of this, turn it off now. You know where to find Hunter and I on Twitter and all that good stuff. Um, Because we are going to talk about the screener that was given about this musical episode. And we're going to do that now, because guess what? It's a musical! It's a musical. (laughs) So... The basic plot here is that Snow White is given the power of song. She wakes up the next morning after making this wish, which is something we saw in the promo, and everyone is singing. But there are some big twists. The first is that Snow White and Prince Charming can feel the combined power of their love, filling them with enough power to defeat the curse that's coming, which is the evil queen's curse back from season one. But then here's the twist. The actual wish that Snow White made was for her daughter to be protected, not for the dark curse slash evil queen to be defeated. And this is where the Blue Fairy comes in. Um, Blue tells Snow White and Prince Charming that the power of song needs to be saved for later, that the wish was to protect Emma, and that Emma would need the power of song to defeat a much worse foe later on. So Blue White... So... So Blue Fairy takes the song in the hearts of Snow White and Prince Charming and puts it into little fetus Emma, who's still developing inside of Snow White, to be used at a later date. Interesting. This, of course, is when we get with all the Black Fairy stuff, who is supposed to be Emma's greatest foe, you know, the savior's greatest foe, which she does in the end of toward the end of the episode emma uses the power of song against the black fairy in the showdown which i think is probably a little bit of what we saw in that featurette and the only thing it does against the black fairy though is slow her down because the black fairy will end up casting a dark curse just as the wedding party for hook and emma is in full swing of course because it's once upon a time so they do in fact get married um, they exchange vows, and some people had uh, some some spoilers about the vows. So Hook's vow to Emma is a lot like his vow uh, in 306, if you guys remember the confession in the Echo Caves in Neverland, how Hook only wanted revenge, and then he met Emma, and she showed him that a heart full of love is so much better than one filled with nothing but vengeance. And Emma's vows to Hook talk about how even though she was a child of true love and came from it, she never believed in any of that stuff. She never believed she could have true love until she experienced for it for herself with him. And it sounds like they they exchange the vows, they give rings, they do the the first kiss, and then the kiss instantly transforms into them dancing for the very first time as husband and wife. And this is when... 
the dark curse happens. Literally seconds into dancing for the first time, you see the clouds that symbolize the dark curse coming. Um, and the final moments of this episode will be Emma and Hook looking on as the dark curse comes. And Hook says, where do you think it's taking us? And Emma says, it doesn't matter. Wherever we end up, we will win. Ah. Some things just to bear in mind. So there was a lot of hubbub when the sneak peek and the photos came out because, of course, if you guys remember continuity-wise, Snow and Charming never met Captain Hook until season two. Snow meets him for the first time in present-day Enchanted Forest after she and Emma were taken there um, when Hook was still working with Korra. There's a memory potion. There's absolutely a memory wipe. (laughs) Um, It apparently affects Snow. It's going to affect Charming. It affects Hook. It affects all of them so that they never... They forget that they met in a bar while Snow White was pregnant with Emma before the Dark Curse. Since they've never talked about this, I'm going to guess that, like... Probably blue makes the memory wipe so that no one remembers all the singing and the dancing. Yeah, I say it's either blue or Regina. I'm well, not quite sure. Yeah, no, it's someone who's going to be like, oh, we don't need to remember this. So, you guys, memory wipe. <laughs> right. So, and then that's the end of the musical episode, and we move into the finale, um, the final battle, which will be. I, I, I think it's kind of a – I think I said this last week. In the span of two episodes, Emma has to do what took her an entire season to do six years ago. And we'll see some sort of alternate reality in which um, the Black Fairy is now the mayor and Emma – who knows where she is? She might be back in Boston because we had that really bizarre photo that we talked about last week. I don't know how they're going to do it like all in two hours. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of quick scenes if they're going to do it all in two hours. Right. And, you know, we still have this prophecy looming that the Savior dies at the hands of this great foe. And now that we've learned that Rumpelstiltskin was supposed to be a Savior, I'm kind of wondering if... They're going to play that card. Yeah, if Rumpel says, well, I may not be the Savior anymore, but I can still choose to defeat my mother and die. So... We'll we'll see. That's all about next week. Yeah. But I think we finally talked our way through this entire episode. Um, yeah. And I, I don't think we've ever had this many notes for a single episode before. For a single episode. Yeah, I don't either. They are pushing this one hard. Like, they did really good at keeping it a secret. Well, kind of good. But, like, keeping it under wraps and close to the chest with all yeah. the music and everything. Um... And then all at once, oh, here's everything. Right. So if you are really anxious to hear the music before the episode, remember, it's going to be out on iTunes on Friday. So you can download it. You can buy it. I suspect that within 24 hours, someone somewhere will have uploaded it to YouTube. Okay, guys. So I just pulled it up. You can pre-order it right now on iTunes. It's Wednesday the 3rd. It's $12.99 for the soundtrack. And there are 25 tracks because yeah, a lot of them all 
singing, right? It's probably a lot of I'm going to guess that, yeah, Hope Will Return, Rumpelstiltskin in Love, The Genie's Wishes, Road to True Love, The Family's Compass, Burn the Witch, What the Queen Loves Most, The Clock Moves, The Siren, Emma and Henry, Unhappy Endings, If the Shoe Fits. Yeah, I think it's a lot of orchestration as well. So that's all we have for you this week, guys. Um, I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline. You can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, oncers.